0: Welcome to the Factory Youth Podcast. This is a weekly teaching podcast from the Factory Youth at Calvary Chapel, Arrow Beach. If you have a Bible, we're going to be in 1 Samuel, 1 Samuel chapter 20. It's the Old Testament book of 1 Samuel. It's right before 2 Samuel. All right, so there you go. Um, We are in a series that we've been calling The Life of David, and we're looking at this character in the Bible that really is famous in name, but maybe not so famous indeed. Kind of what he did in his story. And so we're kind of breaking it down chapter by chapter, his story. And we're learning really what made David the greatest king in Israel's history. Um, a man after God's own heart. And the family line that Jesus chose to enter the world by. So he, on his own, was the greatest king That Israel ever had. He also sort of internally, he was a person that chased after God and carried the heart of God. And then also his line would be the family that Jesus would choose to enter the world through. And we learned some important keys from David's life that make this happen that are really applicable to us. We learned that he was able to be alone with God that it wasn't about who was around him or what he was doing or where he would go, but simply being able to be with God. He had faith in God for impossible things. When everybody else was afraid, he had faith that God could bring victory. And then he had a godly friend that encouraged and helped him. That's what we talked about a couple weeks ago, that he had a godly friend named uh, Jonathan that encouraged and helped him. And today we're going to see the necessity of trusting in the plans and promises of God. It's really what we're going to talk about. The necessity, the importance, the value, the sort of uh, the, the the centrality. I couldn't think of a better word. The, uh, the fact that it's essential that we trust in the... Promises and the plans of God. Um, We're going to be in chapter 20 of 1 Samuel, beginning in verse 27. We're going to jump in the middle of a story. A lot is going on. So I'm going to sort of fill you in. David thinks that Saul, the king, his father-in-law, wants to kill him. We saw that a few weeks ago. If you remember that David was in there, Uh, he played the harp for the king. The king uh, like first liked him, gave him his daughter to be married to. But then there was sort of this song that was beginning to be sung around Israel. And the song was, Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. So all of a sudden there was like this hit on the radio that was glorifying not the king... But the king's son-in-law, David, and Saul didn't like that. And so at one moment, he's frustrated. He chucks a spear at David. David scrams out, runs away, survives, and then for some reason comes back to work, clocks back in, is playing the harp again, and then Saul once again throws another spear at him. So David sort of gets this vibe, I guess, that Saul wants to kill him. He's like, I can't quite put my finger on it, but I don't think father-in-law likes me. Something kind of weird going on. So David thinks that Saul is trying to kill him. So Jonathan, David's best friend, and uh, and he's also the son of the king, he sort of reassures him that Saul doesn't want to kill him. He's like, no, he just had some bad pizza. He had a bad night. His stomach was a little upset. He doesn't want to kill you. It's just one of those weird nights. Don't worry about it. And David's like, I don't know, man. Two times he threw a spear at me. I feel like he wants to kill me. So they're talking about it and they're like, well, let's figure it out. Let's see if Saul does in fact want to kill him. And so they come up with this plan. This plan is that there's this festival, this feast that's going on that David's supposed to be at the king's table for. David is not going to go. David's not going to go to the party. Instead, Jonathan is going to tell his dad that David went home to celebrate the feast. Based upon Saul's reaction, they would know whether or not Saul wants to kill him. If Saul reacts, he's like, oh, that's cool. He probably needed to see his family anyways. No worries. Cool. Saul's good with me. If Saul gets upset, if Saul gets frustrated, then we'll know that David's in trouble. That's basically what's happening. So we'll jump in. Look at verse 27 of chapter 20. It says, the next day, the second day of the month, David's place was empty again at the feast where he's supposed to be. Then Saul said to his son Jonathan, Why hasn't the son of Jesse come to the meal either yesterday or today? So Saul notices it. Jonathan answered and said, David earnestly asked me for permission to go to Bethlehem. He said, Let me go because our family is observing a sacrifice in the town and my brother has ordered me to be there. If I found favor in your eyes, let me get away to see my brothers. That's why he's not come to the king's table. Ready? Saul's anger flared up at Jonathan and he said to him, You son of a perverse and rebellious woman. Not a compliment. Don't I know that you have sided with the son of Jesse to your own shame and to the shame of the mother who bore you. What does Jonathan's mom have to do with any of this? Leave, her, leave, leave his mom out of this. He says, um, as long, listen, verse 31. As long as the son of Jesse lives on this earth, neither you nor your kingdom will be established. Now, that's key because what, what basically Saul is saying is that don't you know that God has anointed David as king? And if David's anointed king, that means, one, Saul can't be king, but two, Jonathan can't be king. What Saul is attempting to do in this moment is get Jonathan to turn on his best friend David because it, he wants him to say, listen, don't you realize that if David becomes king, that means you won't be king? You should be on my team, Jonathan. Because we want you to be king, not David. He says, don't you see, as long as he's alive, you won't be the king. Now send someone to bring him to me, for he must die. Then Jonathan says, why should he be put to death? What has he done? But Saul hurled his spear at him to kill him. Then, ready? Then Jonathan knew that his father intended to kill David. What gave it away? Was it the fact that he said, I will not stop till David dies? Or was it when he threw a spear at you? Or was it when he said another time, I'm going to kill him? Which one gave it away? Right, so in this moment, they realize, okay, Saul does in fact want to kill David. In a moment, everything changes for David, now, what's going to happen from here is they kind of had this plan. But basically, Jonathan goes out and tells David, hey, you were right. My dad wants to kill, kill you. You should probably go and hide. And David, from that point on, is going to hide for a number of years until Saul dies and he comes to be king. And we'll look at that story as we continue. But in a moment, everything changed for David. All of the momentum of David's life is leading really to a smooth transition of him being king. He's anointed as a teenager. He becomes a war hero and the people's favorite. Uh, He marries the daughter of the king. The son of the king and him becomes best friends. He's sitting at the king's table for every meal, and then all of a sudden he hurls a spear at his own son and vows to kill David. Everything changes in a moment. His life was on this clear trajectory, and then in a blink of an eye, in one throwing of a spear, everything changes. Imagine it like this you grow up in a basketball family. By the time you're 16, you're 6'3". You make varsity as a sophomore. You're the captain of the team senior year, and you lead the district in scoring. You commit D1, and you're projected to be drafted in the first round of the NBA. But before you get drafted, you tear your Achilles. It's a year-long recovery, and you don't know if you'll ever play again. In a moment, right, everything changes. Or think of it like this, you meet the person of your dreams. They're godly, kind, they treat you well. You start dating officially and seriously senior year. You both set out on a career path and plan to get married. But you notice they seem different and you find out that they've been cheating on you with a coworker. Everything changes in a moment right think about what whatever that story is the the sort of the path is going a direction everything's making sense everything's sort of check filling in the boxes and then just like that everything changes that's david everything it makes i'm going to be king this is all happening it's all working out i'm not even trying that hard god's for me god's with me everything's working out it's going to happen we're going to work it out and then in a moment everything changes And the path that was laid out before him suddenly and dramatically changed. Why does this happen? What's going on? I thought thought David's going to be king. I thought everything's going to happen exactly like God said it. Why doesn't it seem like it's working out? A couple things we need to know. Number one, the path changes, but the promises and plans of God stay the same. The path might change. But the promises of God stays the same. The promise is that David would be king, right? God doesn't give details about when that's going to be, how it's going to happen. All that happened is David is about 14 or 15 years old. This random old prophet shows up to town, pours some oil on his head and says, you're going to be the king. All right, see you later, man. And I imagine that that scene, David goes from taking care of the sheep. He goes inside, oil gets dumped on his head. Hey, you're going to be king. The prophet leaves and then he's like, I guess I go back to the sheep. (laughs) What do I do now? Goes back to the sheep and then this battle takes place. He's not invited. Finally, he goes out there, he meets King Saul, he defeats Goliath, things start going a good direction. But still, like, when is it going to happen? Everything's moving in a direction, but God said he was going to be king, but the details were not given to David. God has called him, God has anointed him, God's using him, God's moving him towards that Promise, but the road that got him there was not and won't be what he anticipated. Oftentimes, life doesn't go according to our plan. Have you ever noticed that? That life doesn't go according to your plan? Like you thought it was going to look like this. You thought by this time you were going to experience this thing. Or you thought for sure you were going to get into that school. Or you thought for sure they would break up so that you guys could be together. Or whatever it was. Like this is the plan. This is the direction. This is how it's going to happen. And it hasn't happened. But listen, one of the crucial things we must learn when following Jesus is that even though things don't go according to our plan, they always go according to God's plan. This is important that you understand. Even though oftentimes life doesn't go according to our plan, we need to trust and recognize that things always go according to God's plan. The path may change, but the plans stay the same. The road that gets you there might be windy or it might be straight. It might be bumpy. There might be very roundabout. Hey, this is the scenic route, it seems like. But God always gets us to where he wants us to go. Isaiah 55 says it like this. For my thoughts, God speaking, my thoughts are not your thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. Ready? As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. So when our plans aren't working out or the path is changing, we must trust that God is in control and what he says will come about. And if we trust and obey God, we can trust that he's taking us exactly where he wants us. Can I encourage you tonight that God's plans are better than your plans? That God's ways are better than your ways. That God's thoughts towards you are higher and better than your thoughts towards you. And so, what we must learn to do is hear the voice of God and trust the plans of God. The path may change. Hey, it may. Everything may be going a direction. Man, I thought for sure it was going to look like this. And then just in a blink of an eye, in the throwing of a spear, in the changing of a situation, all of a sudden everything changes. That doesn't mean God changes. That doesn't mean the plan changes. It means the path has changed. It means the road that's taking you to where he wants you has changed. The second thing that we need to learn is this. The path leads you to the person that God wants you to be. The path leads you to the person that God wants you to be. We started in verse 20. Jump back up to verse 1. Look at cha- or verse 1 of chapter 20. It says this, Then David fled from Naoth at Ramah and went to Jonathan and asked, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? And Jonathan says, Never. You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything great or small without letting me know. Why would he hide this from me? It isn't so. This is before what we read. So we find out later that Saul does in fact want to kill David. But this opening moment, Jonathan and David meet up. And David, I like how he just starts. He goes, What have I done? What is my crime? How have I wronged your father that he's trying to kill me? And then Jonathan just goes, Never! I'm like, what? <laughs> I feel like that's not the right response. It just seems so awkward. And he's like, You're not going to die. Look, my father doesn't do anything. But David's question is key. David's question is key. Because remember the situation. He's been anointed. He's been told you're going to be the king. Everything so far has been laying up the way that it's supposed to. He's in the palace. He's leading the battles. All of these things. It makes sense. He's best friends with the son of the king. All of it. I'm going to be king. This makes sense. This is the road. All of a sudden, things change. And what does he do? What have I done? Okay, where, where did I mess up? This is good for two reasons. One, because he knows immediately it's not God. Right? He doesn't say, why God? Why did you change the plan? Why aren't things going the way I want them? You said they were going to go. What's going on? He immediately internalizes. Okay, there's something going on with me. What have I done wrong? David's upset and afraid because of the circumstances and he wants to know why it's happening. Why am I going through this? Why would God allow this? What did I do wrong? These are sort of the thoughts that we ask when things aren't going to plan. Difficulty in life is usually caused by one of two things. One, sin often causes difficulty. Personal failure or compromise Or disobedience to God will bring about difficulty in your life now that doesn't mean that God doesn't forgive you but it does mean there are consequences to your decisions if you speed and get pulled over and you have to pay a ticket and you don't have the money to pay the ticket because you have to pay your bills that's not a trial that's a consequence right you don't want to pay the bill don't speed It's pretty simple. Like there's there's natural consequences to our failure. So when sometimes the difficulties that we walk through in life are self-inflicted, right? Sometimes you're walking through hardships or consequences or pain or things like that and you you ask the question, what evil have I done? It's like, well, you did that (laughs) and you didn't do that. And now this is the result. It's not rocket science, right? It's not that difficult to understand. You did a bad thing, bad things happen. You sinned, you messed up, you made a mistake. There are consequences naturally when we make mistakes. Now again, that doesn't mean God doesn't forgive. God forgives all of our sin. The Bible says that past, present, and future sins are all erased because of what Jesus has done on the cross. We're forgiven. But when we make mistakes, that doesn't mean we get a get out of difficulty free card. We still have to deal with consequences when we make mistakes. Oftentimes, we experience change in the path because sin sets us off course. And the difficulty caused by sin really teaches us to repent. And it also strengthens us to fight temptation. When we we sin, when we fail, when we mess up, and there's consequences. We should learn a couple things. We should learn how to repent, meaning, God, I'm sorry. I'm not going to go that way anymore. I'm going to go the right direction. That's what repenting is. Repenting is I'm going this way. It's a bad direction. And I'm going to turn around and go the right direction. That's, it means it to do a 180. It's like, okay, I'm going where I'm not supposed to be going. I'm repenting now. I'm going the right way. It's a really simple idea. And when we mess up and we experience those difficulties, it's teaching us to repent, to turn, to go the right direction. But it also teaches us how to fight temptation. You say, okay, where were my weak spots? What caused me to fall? Why didn't I do the right thing in this circumstance? Okay, I need to set up more boundaries. I need to make sure I'm praying over this area. I need to make sure I'm talking to my small group leader about how I can overcome this. I can't leave this alone because I struggled before. So I need to make sure that I set up parameters that I don't fall again. Difficulty caused by sin will teach you how to repent and how to fight temptation. But secondly, sanctification causes difficulty. Everyone say sanctification. Sanctification. Everyone say sanctification. Sanctification. All right. Sanctification is a Bible idea, a Bible theme. I'll explain it in just a moment. David is not dealing with difficulty because of sin. Right? David goes, what's my crime? What did I do? Why is Saul trying to kill me? And what Jonathan should have said is not never, (laughs) he should have said nothing, (laughs) right? Nothing, you haven't done anything. There's there's nothing. The stuff you're walking through is not because of your mistakes. Now, let me tell you, as we follow the life of David, we're going to see some serious consequences to some serious mistakes, Later on, if he asked the question, what, what is my crime? Well, we'd be like, well, you did this. You murdered that guy. Like, you can't do that. <laughs> we'll see it. But this time, when David says, what's my crime? The answer is nothing. I, I haven't done anything wrong. So the cause of this difficulty isn't sin. It's something else. God, listen to me. God was allowing this difficulty in his life to cause, to cause him to grow and be transformed into the person God wanted him to be. Listen, God used Saul to chase David so that God would chase the Saul out of David. What I mean by that is Saul was proud, disobedient, and compromised. David was going to be a king that wasn't any of those things. God allowed the difficulty to shape him into a person of godly character. And it was in this season of persecution and suffering and waiting that God pruned David, that he transformed David, because God didn't want another Saul in the palace. God wanted David... The man after God's heart, the calling that he had on his life to be the person and to grow into the person that God wanted him to be. This is sanctification. It is the process in which Christ's character is formed into our lives. This often happens through difficulty. But it also happens through prayer. It happens through God's word. It happens through being in church. It happens through good and godly friends around you. And it happens through God working in your lives. It's sanctification. The process in which Christ's character is formed into our lives. Difficulty happens. Difficulty comes Circumstances change. Life is hard. We don't know where we're going. The path changes. But listen, the plans of God always stay the same. And the path that we're on, however roundabout and windy and confusing it is, the path is designed to lead you to the person that God wants you to be. Because God cares, honestly, less about where you are and more about who you are. God cares way more about your character and Christ being formed in you than about what you do, about your job, about your performance, about your career. God's like, you could do anything if Christ is being formed in you. And so the path is designed to get you to where God wants you to go. I'm going to close. Worship team, you can come up here. God cares about your character, but he cares more about God cares more about your character than he does your contribution or what you do. He cares about who you are. So as you follow Jesus, he will shape you, direct you, correct you, and help you become the person that he wants you to be. And what he wants you to be is a person of love, a person of hope, a person of joy, a person of purpose and compassion and patience and more of Christ's character. And sometimes the route, the road, the, the, the way he gets you there doesn't always make sense. But as we trust in God and as we follow his direction, he'll lead us to where he wants us to go. You know, I think the perfect illustration of that is uh, the children of Israel. The children of Israel were in bondage to the Egyptians and immediately they're set free. Moses shows up, God sets them free, there's, there's some scenarios, they cross the Red Sea and then they're into freedom. The Egyptians are behind them. They're free. Immediately, they've been set free. Salvation—it's happened. But did you know it's going to take over forty years for them to get to where God ultimately wanted them to go? Part of it, part of it was God taking the scenic route on purpose before they messed up. God took them to Mount Sinai where He gave the the the, the Ten Commandments, the law of God. They have these incredible moments but then part of it was their own sin and compromise that caused them to wander through the wilderness for 40 years whatever the case the path however difficult or challenging or roundabout it is it always leads us to the promise of God we got to stay committed to God trusting in him trusting in the direction that he's taking us and recognizing that what you're walking through is about God shaping more of Christ's character in your life that's what he cares about. So you're like, why? why is this happening? Why am I going through this? Why isn't this making any sense? Why didn't it go according to my plan? Why? I don't know what I'm doing. I feel so lost and helpless. What you're walking through is designed by God for Christ's character to be formed in your life. Maybe it's taking a really long time. You're like, it should happen right now. Maybe God's trying to teach you patience. Maybe you're like, no, 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 I had it all together, everything was going right, and I knew what was going to happen, it's not happening. Maybe God's trying to teach you, hey, bud, you're not in control, God is. Yeah. Maybe, maybe maybe you're like, no, it can't. that's not fair, how dare, I I don't get it. It's not supposed to happen this way. Maybe all the anger and the frustration you're feeling is because Christ is trying to teach you to be more loving Christ's character formed in us is the reason we walk through so much of what we walk through. So rather than, I think it's a fair question that David asked. What's my crime? What did I do? Never! It's a fair question, but we got to go, okay, maybe a better question is, God, what are you trying to teach me in this moment? God, what, what, what do I need to hear from you? What are you trying to form in my life? What is an area that I'm holding on to that I need to let go of? Why, why haven't I learned it yet?